I'm the youngest child in a family of three siblings. My sister is the oldest. She's strong, she's smart, she's really rational. Uh, she's a natural leader. Um, my brother, he's entrepreneurial, he is outgoing, he is visionary. I mean, he's always starting enterprises here and there. So growing up youngest in a family like this meant that, well, I get to chill. <laughs> Problems going on? Not my problem, somebody else will take care of it. I go into my room, close the door, and play video games on my Commodore 64. 64K, man, yeah! Now, my brother and my sister, they moved out of the house, and then my parents started going through a rough patch. They, they started to fight a lot. And um, my family is not a family that fights well. I think some of you know what that's like. Uh, in, our, in our family, when people start fighting, they, you know, it gradually escalates, and then there's yelling and tears, and then people walk away, slam doors, and then it's just quiet, silent treatment. And the next day, everything's back to normal. When we pretend it never happened, we never, ever, ever talk about it again. That was my family. That's how I grew up. So during this time when my parents were starting arguing more, I, you know, I, I did what I always do, right? I go to my room, turn on the TV, or, or do my homework. I just try to tune it out. Until this one moment, and I and remember this moment vividly because for some reason, I started paying attention to what they're talking about, what they're arguing about, and they're beginning to escalate. And then I did something, and I, I don't know why I did it, except maybe they were talking over my favorite TV show. And back then, you can't pause. Kids, ask your parents. <laughs> so I was like, okay, you know, and I, I just blurted it out. Mom and dad, I think you're talking past each other. Dad, mom is saying this. Mom, dad is saying this. I never forgot their reaction. They looked at me, they looked at each other, and they said, okay, that makes sense. And then they just walked off and started doing their own thing. And I'm standing there, my, my mouth is hanging open like, what just happened? Now, now, okay, now, I remember this moment, not because, like, you know, I, you know, I saved my, my parents' marriage. No, 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 no. Okay, first thing, it's not my job. Kids, it's not your job to save your parents' marriage. And second, I went off to college, okay, and they got through it. They went through a rough patch, and they got through it, okay? They made it happen. But I remember that moment because it was the first time in my life I felt like I had influence I had a say in the family. The first time that I actually affected the relational dynamics of people in my house. First time. Today, I want to tell you about how this moment relates to how we pray. Intrigued? I hope so. Before I keep going, let me introduce myself. My name is Charles. I'm one of the pastors of the teaching team. I want to greet those of you who are here and those of you joining us by video in Traditions, Gospel Fusion, downtown Fitchburg, those watching online, and those of you who are listening to our podcast. To the Chinese speakers, and to the Spanish speakers, we are working our series, in a series called Live This Book, and the big idea of this book is that the entire Bible is a single story, and what we're beginning to learn is that when you read the Bible as a story, it has a way of shifting 
how we understand the different elements of our faith. And today, we're going to look at one of those shifts. Today, we're going to look at how reading the Bible as a story changes how we understand and practice prayer. So, quick reminder of the story so far. God, creator God of the universe, creates a physical world, and then he goes ahead and creates humans, his children, his family, and he wants to empower them to rule the world on his behalf. But... The humans rebel. The human says, no, nah, no thanks. And the end result is that the world falls into sin, violence, and destruction, alienation from God and from each other. And then two weeks ago, we got to the third movement, Genesis chapter 12. This is the beginning of God's definitive response to human rebellion. God chooses Abraham, and he says, hey, from you, I'm going to create a people, a nation, a nation of, on a mission to show the world who God is by living out a kingdom, a life that is filled with God, in love with God, in relations to each other. And the world will see that and be wooed and will come in. And last week, Pastor Matt talked about this people, that this is a people who are on a, in a covenant relationship with God. They are in a committed partnership with God, focused on this mission. So that is the story so far. So how does this story change how we understand prayer? I want to show you a really fascinating little story, kind of weird, from Genesis chapter 18. 18 verse 1. Yahweh, when you see the word Lord in all caps in your English Bible, that marks God's personal name, Yahweh. Yahweh appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bow low to the ground. Now this is a big deal. Okay, this doesn't happen very often. This is the creator God of the universe actually appearing in physical form to Abraham. This is a big deal, okay? He, he shows, he comes looking like a human being. But he doesn't come by himself. He actually brings two friends. There's three of them there. Uh, the other two are angels. How do I know that they're angels? Uh, look down to chapter 19, verse 1. It tells you that. Okay. So, Yahweh and two angels come, and Abraham invites them to a meal. He prepares this lavish feast, and, and they have a conversation about Abraham and his wife, Sarah, about having a baby. And there's a whole discussion about who's laughing and who's not. Okay. Anyway, we get to verse 16. Okay. And this is where things get really weird. I mean, it was already weird to start. Okay. When the men got up to leave, they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. And then Yahweh said, Shall I hide from Abraham? what I am about to do. Okay, so, like I said, this is weird. So let me just make sure everything's clear. The men are Yahweh and the two angels. They are leaving, and Abraham does what good ancient Near Eastern hosts do. They walk them out, right? So the four of them, Yahweh, two angels, and, and, and Abraham, they're walking together. And then verse 17, then Yahweh said. Now this is a bit of a problem, because you can't see this in English. In Hebrew, this verbal form is telling us that what's coming up is a soliloquy. God is now beginning an inner dialogue. Okay? It's not like when you watch a movie and all of a sudden you hear the character do a voiceover. Right? You're getting the inner thoughts of the character. That's what's happening here. The narrator is telling us what God is thinking as he's walking alongside Abraham. And so what is God thinking? Well, he's wrestling with the decision. He's like, I'm about to do something. 
Should I tell Abraham or not? Okay? Well, he's going to come up with some reasons for why he should. Verse 18. Uh, so 18 and 19, it's a continuation of that inner dialogue. Okay? So Yahweh's thinking this. He says, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he would direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of Yahweh by doing what is right and just, so that Yahweh will bring about Abraham what he has promised him. So Yahweh is coming up with reasons to say yes. I will tell him what's about to happen. Okay? And what are the reasons he comes up with? Well, reason number one, he is going to be a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, right? Two weeks ago, Genesis 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. This is the passage about calling of Abraham for him to be at the key to this mission. Right? You are the key to the mission. So this is about the mission. This is about the function of Abraham in the mission. And the second thing, I have chosen him. The Hebrew word, therefore, is not cho- to choose. It's actually a verb that you should be familiar with by now. It's yada. It's to know experientially. For I have known him. I know Abraham. I have a relationship with him. I have a covenant with him. We are partners. So God comes up with two reasons why he should say yes. Reason number one, well, he had placed an important role in this mission. And number two, we're in a covenant relationship. So God says, yes, I'm going to tell him what I'm about to do. Verse 20. And then Yahweh said, and okay, and this verb form here, that's now telling us, yeah, we're back to the story. He's actually talking out loud now. Okay. And so the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before Yahweh. Now, it's clear that Abraham and the two angels, they can hear Yahweh now. And, uh, and so God basically says, okay, I've heard some really bad reports about these two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. So I'm going to do an investigation, which I think in context really means the two of you, angels, are going to represent me and go down and do an investigation. Because you, know, you notice they're the one who leaves, right? And in chapter 19, the two angels show up in Sodom. So I will go down means you will go and do an investigation. You come back and report to me what happens. Okay. Now, I know immediately we have all kinds of questions, right? Well, question number one, doesn't God know everything? Why doesn't he do an investigation? And that's a great question. And it's one that I'm not going to answer. <laughs> because the story is not concerned with that question at all. And, and this is one of our problems, right? When we read a text, we run into questions and theological questions that we have. And sometimes we get so focused on getting answers to them that we miss the focus of the story. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't ask questions, okay? We should ask questions. But sometimes we need to just kind of back up and let the story breathe a little bit. Give it a little space, okay? Because the story can take us to very interesting places that we don't expect. This story is going to take us to an interesting place. This story is going to take us to this fascinating conversation between Yahweh and Abraham. So Yahweh and Abraham, they're standing there by themselves, just the two of them now, and Abraham starts talking. Watch this. And Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? 
What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Would you really sweep it away and, and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Whoa. Ooh. <laughs> okay, so... God, in saying what he said, seems to imply that he is planning to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham launches right into him. He's like, I have serious concerns with your plans. Okay? Because there may be righteous people in that city. I don't care. Okay, I know the city is wicked, but what if there are 50 righteous people in there? You'd be killing them as well as the wicked people. That would be wrong. You can't do that, God. Why? Because you are the judge of the earth. It goes against who you are. You can't do this. Whew. So what does God say? He says, okay. Yahweh said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. The conversation does not stop here. Abraham keeps going. And then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? I mean, Abraham's like, okay, I think I, was, I, think I went too far. <laughs> I am dust and ashes. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Does he really think he's dust and ashes? He's going to keep talking. <laughs> Dustin Ashes don't talk. He's going to keep talking. And now he says, what about 45? Now, I actually, he actually doesn't say what about 45. I like the way he said it better. He says, five less than 50. Like, just five less, right? Would you spare the city? Would you destroy them just because they're five people short? And, and Yahweh says, okay. If I find 45 there, I will not destroy it. That's not how the conversation ends. Abraham keeps going. What about 40? What about 30? What about 20? And every single time, Yahweh says, okay, I will spare the city. And then we get to 10. And then Abraham said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? And God answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And when Yahweh had finished speaking with him, Abraham he, Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. Whew. Now that is a fascinating conversation. What do we do with that story? Well, there's two directions we can possibly go. Direction number one was, is we would be talking about um, the idea of God's judgment. We would ask questions like, hey, uh, how does God decide to judge a city, a people, a nation, or individuals, or families? Does he still judge people? Right? And how do we know if God's judging somebody right now versus just random you know, events that goes bad in our, in our world? How do we know? How can we tell the difference? Right? These are all great questions. We are going to talk about God's judgment in the section when we get to the movement on God's people rebel. And we're going to have a whole Sunday on God's judgment. So I'm going to save those questions for that sermon in February. And the other direction that we can possibly go, and that is the direction we're going to go today, is to focus on the conversational dynamics between God and Abraham. Okay. And the first thing we should do is to marvel at this conversation. Like, Wow, Abraham, I can't believe you just did that. 
Abraham challenges God's plan. Abraham tells God, you can't do this, you can't do this. Abraham says, okay, I want to know precisely what is the basis for your judgment? How do you weigh righteous versus the wicked? I want to know how you make decisions. Abraham challenges God in a way that we would think, that you shouldn't do that, Abraham, that's wrong. So why does Abraham do it? Well, one, one possibility that comes to mind is that if you know the story of Genesis, you know that Abraham's nephew, Lot, actually lives in Sodom. So maybe this is just Abraham's way of trying to save Lot's life. Except, if that were the case, the conversation would look very different, right? It'd be like Abraham saying, God, my, my nephew, Lot, he's there. Please have mercy on him. Save him. You know, don't let him die in Sodom. That would be the end of the conversation. Okay, that's not what we have here. What we have is not that conversation. It's way more than that. What we have is Abraham standing there as the advocate, pleading for mercy for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, pleading for their people, and at the same time, questioning God. How exactly do you make decisions? What is justice in your mind? How do you work? Why does Abraham do that? The answer because he finally begins to believe. Genesis chapter 12, God tells Abraham, you're the key, you and your nation, you're the key to this mission. Genesis 15 and 17, God says, I'm in a covenant relationship with you. We're in a partnership relationship. And Genesis 18, Abraham finally begins to believe. What does he believe? That this is a real partnership. It's not an equal partnership. No, 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 no. But it is a partnership nonetheless. And in a partnership, a partner gets to ask questions, gets to influence. They get to probe. They get to speak their mind. They get to get to the details of the plan. They get to push. And Abraham finally begins to believe. And he starts asking questions. He starts pushing. He starts telling God, you can't do this. Right? And now what about those portions where he's saying, he's saying, well, I'm dust and ashes. Please don't get angry with me. Well, that's, that's in there because in his gut, Abraham feels like this is so inappropriate. I can't be talking to God like this. Right? He's feeling exactly what we're all feeling when we were reading this passage, which is, Abraham, whoa, don't do this. Right? His, his feelings, his gut is telling him, bad idea, bad idea, bad idea. But his faith is telling him something else. His faith is telling him, Believe and take God at his word. And Abraham says, I will live and I will act and I will speak as God's partner. How do we know Abraham is right? How, how do we know that Abraham is not being presumptuous, that he's being sacrilegious, that he's being irreverent? Because he's doing exactly what God wants him to do. Go back to verse 17. Remember this passage? This is so important. This is the passage where we're getting that inner dialogue from God. God's, the narrator is telling us God's thinking process. And in the process, it's revealing something important, right? You're always like, should I tell him? I want to tell him. Why? Because he is a key to the mission and we're in covenant relationship. He's my partner. The narrator, in giving us this internal dialogue, is telling us that what happens next, Abraham's reaction, is exactly what God wants him to do. At this moment, Yahweh invites Abraham into his counsel. He says to Abraham, talk to me, Abraham. Here's my plan, talk to me. 
I want to hear your thoughts. I want to hear your concerns. I want to hear your questions. I want to hear your doubts. I want you to get involved and start thinking about this. Why? Because I want you to own this mission. I want you to own it. I want you to grow into my partner so that we can do this together. Now, before I even get to how this kind of understanding of who we are changes how we pray, um, I need to address an objection. Because I think many of you are thinking this thought right now. You're thinking, yeah, but that's Abraham. That's not me. Right? So, so here, okay, those of us who are Christ followers, we have a problem, okay? We, 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 we embrace the idea that, hey, we're sinners. Okay? Saved by grace, Jesus on the cross. We, we're adopted into the family of God. We're God's children. We're God's sons and daughters. And we love that. We, we absolutely love that. But at the same time, we have this implicit or maybe even explicit hierarchy in our head. Like, hey, we're all in the family of God, but there are certain people who are closer to God. You know, people like Abraham and Moses and David and Elijah and Jeremiah and Peter and Paul and the saints and maybe, maybe even the pastors. We're all in the family of God, but there are certain people who are the big brothers and the big sisters. Right? They have a say in how the family is run. They get to have tense conversation with the parental units. And the rest of us, we're the youngest sibling. We're hiding in our room playing video games. And here's the problem. Because we believe that, because we have that hierarchy, when we run across texts in the Bible that describes relationships that are dynamic, that are intimate, that are partner-like, we go, yeah, but they're just, you know, older brother-sister types. That's not me. So let me just lay it out clearly once and for all. That kind of thinking is simply not biblical. The Bible says no to all that. Now, there's passages I can, I can, I can pull up, but I'm going to show you one that just lays out the dis- distinction really clearly. Okay, it's what Jesus says in the book of John, chapter 15. Jesus says to, to his followers, I no longer call you servants. Okay? What is, how does Jesus define servants? Look, look at this. Okay? I don't want to call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. A servant doesn't know. The servant just follows instructions. Do as you're told. Okay? You don't know why, but you just do it anyway. Instead, I have called you friends. How does friends differ from servants? Well, for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. I'm drawing you in. You're on the inside. You know what's happening. I'm going to tell you what's going on, what God is up to. The same way that God invites Abraham, come on in, let me tell you what's going on. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I have connected with you in a covenant relationship and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. That's right. We're on a missional covenant. We're together working on this mission to redeem the world. And... Whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. As we're part of this missional covenant, you get to influence. You get to have a say in how God is accomplishing this mission. 
So yes, we are sinners but we need to remember we are sinners who have been reconciled to God, joined with Jesus Christ, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we are in a covenant relationship with God. We are, on a, we are in a partnership to redeem this world. This is who we are. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. How do you see yourself in the family of God? Are you the youngest child? chilling out in your room? Or are you a growing adult, maturing adult, beginning to pay attention to what is happening and beginning to ask, How, what can I do for the sake of the welfare of the family? What we need to do is get rid of this distinction between those who know God more and those who are like chilling in our rooms, okay? We, we gotta get rid of the distinction. That has to go. We're all children of God and we're all called by God to mature into his children who are partners with him on this mission. That finally gets us to how does that thinking, that understanding change how we pray? Now, as I get there, I know some of you are like, well, okay, praying. Abraham can see God, he can talk to him, and God talks back. When I pray, I don't see anything, I don't hear anything. And that is absolutely true. And that's because two things have changed since the time of Abraham. Number one, we have the Holy Spirit in us now. Back then, Abraham talks to God, God's on the outside. He can hear God's voice, but it doesn't happen very often. Today, we can pray and talk to God anytime we want because God is with us, the Holy Spirit is in, in us and with us. Okay. However, it makes it a little harder to figure out if the Holy Spirit is talking. No, no doubt about that. Abraham can hear a voice audible when we talk to God and when God speaks to us. Uh, is it spirit talking or is it me talking? Okay. And that's one of the challenges in following Jesus. And I just want to lay that out before you. And we'll, we can have another sermon or a course that talk about how do you know when God is talking? Okay. We can talk about that. That's for another day. The second thing that's changed, of course, is that God, since the time of Abraham, has written a book. It's called the Bible. In it, God has told us much, much more than he ever told Abraham about his plans, about his ideas, about his character, about what he's up to in our world. He has shown us the heart of God. And so if you're asking, like, well, God doesn't tell me anything like the way he tells Abraham. Well, maybe God's saying, hey, I wrote it down in the Bible. Have you thought about reading it? Okay. So how do we pray as God's partners? I gotta tell you, when I, when I was trying to follow Jesus, I, I, can't pray. I couldn't pray at all. It was really hard, it was really, really difficult. And then somebody came along and, uh, and they showed me this tool called ACTS, A-C-T-S. Simple little tool, I think it, it might help you. A-C-T-S stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. Helpful acronym. And, and back then, I was always just asking for God for things and it felt really weird and dry. And then ACTS helped me. It, it helped me develop a, a more well-rounded relationship with God. Adorations is about praise or, or you know, expressing to God what you admire about him, right? Have you ever been to a, a really good restaurant or watch a really great movie? By the way, Top Gun Maverick is not just a fantastic action movie, but if you watch it four or five times, it, you would begin to recognize its emotional depth and profundity. The story arc of Pete Mitchell's career is one of healing and redemption. It will bring you to tears if you watch it four to five times. <laughs> Notice what just happened. 
When you see something awesome, you, you want to tell everybody about it. Okay? When you see something awesome, when you experience something great, you want to tell about it. That's praise, that's adoration. Expressing to God what you admire about him, what you've experienced about him. Confession. We all mess up. You're not telling God anything he doesn't know. Okay? It's not about information. It's really about, hey, let's make sure there's no walls and obstacles in our relationship that we can communicate well, that we can trust each other well. And in other words, confession is a great symbol of grace. Thanksgiving, that's easy. Thanking God for the things he's done for you and what he will do. And then supplication, I think, is the most common form of prayer. It's basically, God help me with this. When I first started, I did like a minute of each. It's a four-minute prayer. Help me a ton. Okay. But notice, notice that Genesis 18, the conversation between Abraham and Yahweh, doesn't fall into this category. Abraham is talking to God, that's a prayer, but it doesn't fit into any of this. So today I want to coin a phrase. I want to coin this phrase called partnership prayer, and I'm going to slip it into acts and make it into pacts. Yeah. So, first of all, you know, we make pacts with people, right? That's kind of like a covenant, so that should be a good, it's a good acronym. So, P is for partnership. Partnership. What kind of prayers are partnership prayers? It's, it's partnership prayers are things you pray when you talk to God as his partner on the mission. And so what do you say? Well, what does Genesis 18 tell us? Number one, it's about the mission. God brings up, brings up Sodom to Abraham. Why? Because it's part of the land that he's promised him. Okay? That's the mission, right? We're gonna in this land, you're gonna have a, you're gonna build a kingdom. So what goes on in this land is in part is part of Abraham's mission. It's part of what Abraham's responsible for. So God says, okay, I'm gonna do something in Sodom. You need to know about this. They have a conversation about the thing they're working on. So the first off, partnership prayers, you talk to God about the mission you're on, the project you're working on. And if you're like, I don't know what projects I'm working on with God, then maybe that's the first question you should be asking. First prayer you should be praying is this. God, how do I participate in this mission? Right now, in my life right now, how do I participate? Have you ever prayed that before? Number two, raise concerns, ask questions. Abraham hears God's plan. He's like, what? You're really going to do that? Okay, no, don't do that. What about this? What about this? How many of you have read the Bible and seen parts of it and you go, really, that's in the Bible? God, you really think this way? I have all kinds of questions about that. I have all kinds of concerns about that. Have you ever thought about praying that? Okay. Like say, God, I don't get this. Help me understand. And this is not doubt. This is not rebellion. This is, I am a partner. I want to understand as your partner. Because if I don't understand, I'm just doing, just doing stuff that you're telling me to do, then I'm a servant or I'm a child hiding in my room. Number three, it's increasingly getting more difficult. Express your views. Abraham doesn't just listen to God's explanation. 
he actually has strong ideas about how things should be done. And he has no problem expressing them to God. And Abraham's not the only one. And then you have Moses doing this. You have Elijah doing this. You have Jonah doing this. You have Peter doing this. Now, a lot of us are listening going, whoa, 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 what are you doing, man? God, God knows everything. He's always right. You shouldn't have an opinion. Which takes us to number four. God wants this. That's the starting point. Right? This partnership prayer happens because God invites Abraham into his counsel. He says to Abraham, I want to hear your thoughts. I want to hear what you're thinking. Why? Because I want you to own this mission. God wants us to own this mission. God wants us to get to the point where like, oh, I'm not doing this for God. I see God's mission. I see his vision. It's so awesome. I just want it. I think it's the most, most important mission in the world. I want it. And God says, great. Now you're a partner with me because we both want the same things. And how does that happen? How do we own a mission? We ask questions. We delve into the plan. We think about it and we get to influence. Like God's smart, okay? He, he knows his pushback. He, he expects pushback. And what he does is that he finds ways to weave our desires into his planning so we get to influence the outcome. We own the mission. Today, I want to challenge you to take your prayer life to the next level. And we're all in different places. We're all in different places. Some of us, we're just beginning to learn how to pray. Some of us feel really awkward praying, like, I don't know what to say. And if that's where you are, I would recommend ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. One minute of each. Okay. I would even recommend writing it down. Sometimes write down your prayer beforehand and then say them out loud to God. There are ways to get prayer life going. And I think there are other of us here who are like, okay, I've been praying for a while now. I think I might be ready for partnership prayers. And I don't want to put a lot of pressure on because you know it took Abraham like 25 years to get to this point. From Genesis 12 to Genesis 18 is actually 25 years. He followed God for a long time before he started finally believing that he's a partner. So I think we can go faster than that because we have the Holy Spirit. But if that's what you want to do, then I want to challenge you this week to set up a time to have a partnership conversation with God. That's not a perfunctory time. You can't be like, toss it out there and be gone. You need to like a 30 minute, block it out in your schedule, find some time that is quiet, you know, no kids, no phone, and talk to God as a partner. Some of us here, the starting point would be, do I really believe I'm a partner? Do I really believe God's call on me? And then I think some of us like, I really like being the youngest kid in the family. I like to chill. I like to hide in my room and play video games. I don't sure, I'm not sure I want this. Talk to God about this. Some of us, we are ready to be partners, but we don't know what to do. A prayer that says, how do I fit in this family of God? How do I use my gifts to fit in? Talk to God about that. Some of us are in an entirely different place. We're like, I have all kinds of questions. I, have, I struggle with all kinds of things you're saying. God, help me. Help me figure this out. Talk to God about it. God's real. He'll get back to you. Let him do his thing. And then some of us, you've been partners with God, 
then it's time for a check-in. How are things going with the things you're collaborating in? Are there things he's, he's disappointing you about? Like, I thought he'd do this, he didn't. Tell him that. And, or suggestions like, hey, I want to do this. What do you think? Reading Bible is a story changes how we understand prayer because we recognize that we are God's partners. That's what he's called us to be. No longer as servants, no longer as the youngest child hiding in the room. Let us become the people he's called us to be. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray for faith. We pray that we really believe your word. We pray that you re we really believe what you say about who we are. You tell us we're your sons, your daughters, but that feels kind of out there. Help us to believe it, to know it deep down. You say that we are covenant partners and we have questions about like, how could that possibly be? How can that be us? So we pray for an outpouring of your faith, for the Holy Spirit to be working, helping us to believe your word about us. And so that we can start living as the people you called us and created us to be. We want to be that person. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.